0: just like any new powerful technology. We're using it to change the world, but we humans still have to decide where
1: and how it's going to be used. And you can see a nice long list of what all these machines have been uh, working in a positive way.
2: Welcome back to a special bonus episode of SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses making a difference in our constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. Unless you've been living under a rock, one with a very poor Wi-Fi connection, you've heard all about chat, GPT, and the new era of generative artificial intelligence. News about Gen AI is everywhere, and every day it seems there's a new killer use case promising to forever change the way we work and live. From cheating on exams in school to putting entire industries out of work, I admit it's been both fascinating and terrifying to watch. But of course, our fascination with AI is nothing new. For years, we've been talking about all the ways our society can put these emerging technologies to good use right here on this show. From crime-fighting robots to AI movie producers, I hope you'll enjoy this collection of conversations featuring the innovation heroes working on our AI-powered future. When RoboCop first hit theaters in 1987, I was totally captivated by the idea of a cyborg policeman, half man, half robot. But I always thought it was the stuff of pure science fiction. That is, until I met William Santana Lee, Chairman and CEO of Nightscope. Founded in 2013, Nightscope is on a mission to make the United States the world's safest country. Its fleet of autonomous security robots provide 24 7 security 365 days of the year to places like school campuses and entertainment venues. I spoke with Bill about how Nightscope is disrupting the security industry and how its robots will strengthen, not replace, human law enforcement. This interview aired on December 1st, 2022. And in terms of those locations, can you give us some real-life examples or real-life use cases for, for these robots?
1: Sure. We're in a number of verticals. It could be a commercial real estate, um, a lot of hospitals, a lot of casinos, manufacturing plants, logistics facilities. Basically, anywhere indoors or outdoors, you might see an officer guard patrolling, but primarily outdoors where the actual crime occurs, is an opportunity for Nightscope. And in some cases, it's They don't have enough guards or officers to cover a location. So, you know, there's a police department that didn't have an extra couple officers times four to patrol a park. So we patrol the park on their behalf and 911 dispatch can remotely monitor the location, hopefully de-escalate some situations before having to have armed officers show up on the scene in uniform. And, you know, it's, the technology is actually effective. You know, when we started the company at you know, most of the people here in Silicon Valley like told us, you know, the following, Hey Bill, you're out of your mind. Uh, this will <laughs> never work. It's uh, hardware and software too complicated. You should pick one. And physical security is not an investment thesis. You need to go away. And so like any good entrepreneur, we ignored everybody and just did what we said we we're going to go do. And, you know, the probability of founding a company, raising the capital, growing it, and then listing it on on NASDAQ, Joe. So we'd probably, we listed the company on NASDAQ under the ticker symbol KSCP um, back in January. And we had raised, uh, I think, north of $120 million from 35,000 investors. Um, So there's a nice, rather large cross-section of the U.S., that not only believes in the technology, they know the market for crime will never collapse and know that the technology works. And if uh, you need any evidence of it working or not, just go to nightscope.com slash crime and you can see nice long list of what all these machines have been doing in a positive,
2: uh, working in a positive way in terms of of outcomes from from putting these in the field um you you must have one or two you know a- anecdotes from just things that either you you've heard about a, a positive result or or just said wow i never thought it would have you know <laughs> it would have had an outcome like that or there are a good story that you have from a positive outcome
1: uh, yeah i'll give you a couple of them i mean i think most people are reasonably bright and they understand that It's not like what's on TV. Most officers and guards are 95, 98% of the time. There's no drama going on, right? And so we're just getting started. And what I find fascinating is a few, more than a few years ago, I was actually in New York, I think. Uh, I remember the phone call. My co-founder calls me up. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? We just helped a law enforcement agency issue an arrest warrant for a sexual predator. And I just... I almost bust out in tears because like, it's like, you're kidding me, right? Um, We've helped another law enforcement agency apprehend an armed gunman. Uh, We helped with a domestic um, violence uh, case. I mean, we have one client that was experiencing one to two criminal incidents a week, like assault, theft, stolen car every single week. And we put the machine there and everything literally went down to zero and all the shenanigans stopped. And they have renewed that contract now for the fifth year.
2: For anyone unfamiliar with this technology, you know what defines autonomous security capabilities and how is NightScope using this technology?
1: Uh, so depending on who you believe, I'm sure my numbers might be a little bit dated, but over a hundred billion dollars been has been invested in self-driving, autonomous, whatever, probably 200 companies working on it. I believe they're the collective revenue of those 200 companies are nearly zero, if not zero, and it's basically complete autonomy, meaning level five, hands off, no one remote controlling it, operating 24 seven across an entire country. I think we're probably the only company in the world doing that at some reasonable scale, both indoors and outdoors. Um, and I think that, that speaks to how difficult it is. If no, you know, a hundred billion dollars goes into the sector and nobody shipped anything, uh, probably maybe it's hard, right? And that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Not remote control level five, if you want to put it in automotive terms, complete hands-off patrolling and deterring uh, negative behavior.
2: So can you give me a breakdown of how the autonomous security robots work and how they can be implemented to uh, enhance safety? Sure. We work for Big Brother and
1: what we, you know, take our orders from Big Brother and just try to make sure that the robots are here to kill everyone and take everyone's job. Is Oh, sorry. <laughs> wrong talking point. Um, the, the technology, I think you'd want to kind of cut it into two pieces. Uh, one would be the navigation portion. Um, it's analogous or very similar to a self-driving car. So we use uh, LiDAR, sonar, proximity sensors, accelerometers, and a bunch of crazy software for the machine to basically dynamically create its own map, find itself in that map, and then navigate without you know, hitting anyone or anything consistently on its own. This is not an automated guided vehicle at a manufacturing plant. And then the second part is the machines generate over 90 terabytes of data a year that no human is going to be able to process. And we put that in a digestible format on a user interface that we call the KSOC, or the Scope Security Operations Center, where our clients uh, can uh, interact with the machines, uh, view live data. Uh, so crude example would be, let's say one of our clients, I don't know, fired someone or expelled a a student or something like that. They're worried the person's going to come back. You can, uh, with a combination of machines, upload the facial profile of the person, the license plate or plates associated with the person and any mobile device associated with that person. And then the machines are literally on the lookout for uh, those detections.
2: The concept of AI we get through pop culture makes it out to be something far more mystical than reality, but that's not to say there isn't lots of magic going on. The fact is, even before things like ChatGPT came onto the scene, AI and deep learning were already making a big impact across every facet of our society. With the right guardrails in place and access to the right data and resources, these tools are revolutionizing banking, security, and even medicine. Back in July 2021, original host Peter Bean sat down with NVIDIA's Will Ramey, then global head of developer programs. Together, they debunked the biggest myths surrounding AI and explored the current and future applications of this existing technology.
3: I think AI, machine learning, and deep learning are probably the most misunderstood and misconceived statements, technologies in our space right now. So on the practical side, how should companies go about leveraging AI, machine learning, deep learning in a realistic way? What advice would you give to to someone who doesn't maybe know where to start? Well, the first
0: thing I would say is get clear on the problem and what specific tasks you want your AI to perform. You know, It's like when you're building a house and you need to put a screw in the wall, you use a screwdriver. You wouldn't pound it with a nail. So you need to think in terms of what are the what is the tool how is it going to work what do you need in order to for it to be effective and then choose the right tool for the job whether it's you know in your in your business or in your products. It's also helpful to think in terms of guardrails. I think you'll realize pretty quickly that if you're if you're using deep learning or AI for an autonomous vehicle, you know, a self-driving car that you're going to put yourself and maybe your kids in or for A medical analysis device that's gonna help you understand what kind of cancer tumor you have and what the best treatment recommendation is. You're sort of playing for different stakes than if you are just deciding whether to, you know, open your doggy door and and let the dog come into your house to get some food or whether you're answering a customer support call. The stakes are just you know different. And that means that just like the software that you have today, you need to think about. What level of oversight and judgment and what are the acceptable, reasonable outputs that you're going to accept from the system and when are you going to require additional kind of observation or judgment? There are a couple other things that are really important here, and that is that in order to take advantage of today's AI technology, you have to make sure you have the data or you can get the data. Because if you, if you don't have data, which represents the experience from which the AI can initially learn how to perform the task you need it to perform, then you're kind of stuck at square one. But the good news is there's lots of creative ways you can get that data if you don't already have it.
3: What are some of the biggest misconceptions and myths that you hear out in your travels doing your work?
0: One of the things that I've observed is a lot of people... Have really only seen AI in the movies, like, you know, The Matrix or Terminator, where the AI character has its own consciousness and some kind of internal motivation. And in the movies, they also cast AI as having really flexible problem solving and cognitive abilities, like we humans do, but with superhuman intelligence. That kind of thing makes for good entertainment, but that kind of general ai is just not possible using today's technologies what we have instead is more narrow forms of ai that can be used to perform specific tasks working with constrained inputs and outputs that we design them to process so they're great for like building tools and doing things like helping it departments detect cyber intrusions or assisting radiologists in identifying cancer tumors, and even giving customers recommendations for like what products to buy or what movies to watch. And just like any new powerful technology, we're using it to change the world. But we humans still have to decide where and how it's gonna be used.
2: The idea that language can sometimes be a barrier to connecting with others across the world is nothing new. But what if we could use AI to help us bridge that gap? Well, it turns out there were plenty of extremely smart innovation heroes working on that exact idea. And back in season two, then host Peter Bean met with three of them for an engaging discussion about the future of AI powered speech. In the first half of this segment, you'll hear from Sonny Hudson, Cisco's collaboration specialist. He lays out a series of groundbreaking innovations Cisco is making to its flagship WebEx platform to make video conference safer and more human. Next up, we'll hear from two linguistics professors from Rutgers University, Adam Jardine and Matthew Stone. They'll discuss how AI language actually works and a few inspiring use cases.
4: You know that I've been deeply invested in video conferencing for years, right?
3: We talk about it all the time, way before the pandemic caused it to rapidly accelerate as our primary mode of communication. Can you talk about some of the exciting new capabilities that Cisco is bringing to market and how the pandemic accelerated them?
5: For years, as you said, we've been trying to push video as our main method of communicating with people because people get so much more from it than just audio only, But we found since the pandemic that we can actually use it to make places safer, more secure, better uh, for a pandemic standpoint and a returning to work standpoint by the, the technology that we can integrate into that video. For example, we can do things like making sure that people can see for themselves if they have too many people in a room. They can set it in advance so that a conference room might be good for, say, four people or five people. But then if they exceed that number of people, they can actually see something on the screen to tell them, you've really got too many people to be safe in view of the pandemic and cleanliness. They can also see information of things like, when's the last time the room was sanitized for their safety? A lot of these things just have let us let video be the main way to communicate with people about how they can stay safe, uh, communicate those messages, make sure that they're looking at it in a way that... This is more than just a one-on-one device or even a one to many device. It's something that's going to really help them as we go into our return to work and our hybrid workplace.
3: I was wondering if you could give our listeners a high-level explanation of how real-time translation to text works and how is it the same or different from teaching computers
5: to actually talk? So for a real-time translation system, You need to first recognize the words that the speaker is saying, find a corresponding sentence in the target language, and then realize the sounds of that language as waveform. And with today's technology, that involves large-scale statistical computation that's based on patterns analyzed from massive amounts of data. In many cases, it's data of pairs of texts in the source language and the target language together with vast databases of speech in the two languages, all analyzed using neural network methods to make as accurate predictions as possible.
0: One of the projects that my advisor was working on at the University of Delaware before he left was robots that could interact with children on the autism spectrum, giving children who have difficulties with social interaction and language partners that can always be there and help them practice and, and learn those skills. But of course, you know that, that does require agents that can use language naturally like a human would. And we're making great strides in that kind of research, but it's still very much ongoing.
2: Robots are fast becoming a part of our everyday lives. They are stocking our shelves, cleaning our floors, and even helping doctors perform complex surgeries. But when does a robot go from a mere computer to a real companion? Enter social robotics, the discipline that examines the role of robots in human society. This was a field I had never heard of until I met with Dr. Frauke Zeller and Associate Professor Lauren Dwyer, both from the Toronto Metropolitan University. You'll hear about their creation called Hitchbot, a robot that rose to world fame when it began hitchhiking across North America. That project was designed to turn the question of robot trustworthiness on its head by asking whether robots could trust humans. Hint, the answer is yes, unless you happen to be in Philadelphia. This episode aired on November 11th, 2021. Krauka, for our listeners who don't know, uh, what is HitchBot? Um, What did you learn from it and what did HitchBot teach us?
4: Hitchbot was or is Canada's first hitchhiking robot. Together with uh, my co creator, David Harris-Smith from McMaster University, we came up with a really wacky idea in 2014 to build a robot that would independently, without our help, try to hitchhike all across Canada. So I have to say a little bit, we have a very dynamic team. And so David comes more from a background with multimedia, and he's actually also an artist. So He's the one with the creative ideas, and I'm the one with the background, having done lots of research in the past already on robots. So um, I always kept saying, that's never going to work. And he said, let's just try. And then at some point I thought, why not? You know, so what we were planning to do or what we did with a fantastic team of also student researchers was to... um, Built a robot and then put it in a situation that nobody wouldn't a robot expect to be in. So standing on the side of a road, busy road, and um, putting up the thumb, saying "I want to hitchhike," <laughs> um, all across the country, and also doing what is really unusual right usually when you do robotic experiments you always have them make sure uh, first rule of thumb don't let them out of your sight make sure it's in the lab make sure it's a controlled space so this was absolutely uncontrolled and it was not a typical scientific experiment per se so that is very important so it was planned from the start to engage the public to learn from the public how they would talk about the robot how they would engage with the robot or not So everything was voluntary, nothing was prescribed. We said either you take the robot and help it because it needed all kinds of help, or you just leave it standing there. We let go really important data by saying, okay, we won't record um, the actual interaction for me as a researcher. Of course, that was very painful, right? Um, But we said we need to make sure people feel at ease with the technology. And by doing this, We had an immense success and really great feedback from the people. Canadians came together on social media saying, come on, let's all help this little robot. We're Canadians. We're supposed to be helpful. (laughs) We can do this. And I must say I was really, really deeply impressed by this. Um, Then finally, of course, there must have been one or two we don't really know, not so nice people in the U.S. that uh, finally just killed the robot. And we don't really know uh, uh, until today. We don't know what happened, how many people were involved, why that happened whatsoever. But that was just really out of thousands of people. That was just probably one or two.
2: I I have to know. Can you tell us where that happened?
4: That happened in Philadelphia. They sent back the body of the broken robot, but we never got the head back, interestingly
2: enough. So for our listeners, um, what is a social robot and what makes them so cool?
4: Social robots differ from
6: your standard conception of like what a robot might be, in that their primary goal and like their number one function is to communicate and to be in some way social with, with people. So the the concept of social robotics and this this whole field is based around interaction and interacting with people and, and and developing those relationships. So if you think about like a Roomba, a Roomba is a robot, it vacuums, it does it all on its own, but you're not going to go and either like try and interact with a Roomba or have a conversation with it. Though you might, I mean, I get it. Sometimes people talk to their appliances, you know, yell at their microwave or whatever. But but a Roomba wouldn't count as social. When you think about social robots, like the the thoughts that come, like the examples that come to me are always like pop culture versions. So thinking of C-3PO from Star Wars, whose like primary goal was to talk to people and to be a cultural liaison, or uh, even like, now that this one's slightly, slightly more in between, but even if you think of like Baymax from Disney's Big Hero 6, you have a robot that talks to and facilitates interaction. I mean, yes, its primary function is to be a medical assistant, but it still talks to people and it still makes people feel things. and and that that kind of that's where social robotics falls.
2: From Charlie Chaplin to Blockbuster franchises, movie making has come a long way. But what if I told you the next wave of technological innovation in the movie biz comes from artificial intelligence? FilmUStage is a technology company that is revolutionizing the pre-production phase of filmmaking with neural network technology and natural language processing. I had the pleasure to meet with Ruslan Kamadulin, chief technology officer. We discussed how Film Your Stage is being used to break down scripts in a matter of minutes, a task that used to take humans days or even weeks. We also discussed how AI might one day disrupt the more creative roles in Hollywood, from writing to cinematography and beyond. This episode aired on January 26th, 2023. So
7: basically... One day you finish your screenplay and you decide to make it real to turn it into a feature film or advertisement or whatever, any kind of video project. So, well, you have to put quite a lot of efforts into it in order to calculate and understand everything, like organize everything. Your screenplay is pretty much like a blueprint. So it contains lots of information about what kind of cast you need to shoot your movie, what kind of location you need, what kind of props or whatever, all the small little details. And... Uh, There is a process called script breakdown. Basically, you start to write down all the possible categories of items out of your text and put it into somewhere like spreadsheets and maybe some other way to organize it. And then this is quite manual process and it takes anything from a couple of days to a couple of weeks actually to accomplish. Not super fun and the perfect task for automation at the same time. Like it's a perfect task for machine learning actually. And uh, we decided okay, let's try to do that. We created a data set based on a bunch of existing screenplays and trained our neural network in order to understand the context, the format of scripts, and uh, and uh, kind of do the same thing on top of that. So And it worked. So now we can break down basically uh, in a couple of minutes instead of a couple of dates or a couple of weeks. So it's a really huge time saver. Filmmakers really love our stuff.
2: Excellent. Excellent. So what's next for FilmU Stage and, you know, what are your big picture plans, uh, you know, in the short and long-term future? As I mentioned before, we just
7: updated our screenplay engine. We are going to release pretty soon, actually a couple of months, probably. The next step would be to understand and create the picture of your whole screenplay, probably share your strongest and weakest parts of it. The next step would be probably creating some kind of previous or visualization tool set for your project for you in order to help you you know visualize and prototype the aesthetics of your film maybe to build your uh, frames or whatever so exactly how you want to camera to look on your characters and whatever and uh, at the same time our goal is to cover all aspects and all steps of actually filmmaking we have ideas for production where going to add asset management basically imagine if you have everything in one place like okay you need to rent a bar or maybe you need to rent a warehouse for particular scenes in your movie let's uh, connect you with
2: uh, location agencies that's it from us this week if you enjoyed this episode please like and subscribe or in the very least ask your robot companion to give it a listen. We will be back in a few weeks with our final bonus episode. Tune in to hear the best conversations we've had about NFTs, blockchain, and the hype-fueled world of Web3 technologies. This has been Innovation Heroes. I'm your host, Ed McNamara.